0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race, hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
1: This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Chances are you can name a giant vintage sign that you've spotted as you travel the streets of Chicago. Think signs advertising the Chicago Theater, Wrigley Field, or the Aragon Ballroom. These signs can be huge, in some cases, several stories. And they come to shape the surrounding landscape, becoming part of the neighborhood, often serving as a landmark of sorts. And there's a new proposed city measure that would work to protect these signs. Now, today on the podcast, we're learning more about the history and future of the neon wonders with historian Martin True. He's the author of Signs, Streets, and Storefronts, a history of architecture and graphics along America's commercial corridors. Martin, what purpose did these signs originally serve?
0: Well, um, unlike uh, the current corporate environment where... Uh, Businesses are already identified by, uh, you know, major brand campaigns. These businesses had to introduce themselves out of the blue, out of a blank. And so their signs had to not only be enthusiastic, but they had to be informative. Mm -hmm. And um, it's uh, interesting to see how swiftly smaller signs from the late 19th century became enormous especially during the advent of electricity. Around 1900 is when things really explode. And part of that is because of the uh, streetcars. The electric streetcars made movement through the city much uh, quicker. And so your eyes were uh, moving more quickly through the city you had a fleeting glance to identify a business, so the signs Ah. were working very hard to catch your eye. So
1: interesting that all of that was taken into account. And I know that you call the 1930s, especially, the the golden age of these signs. Why?
0: Uh, That's because uh, it was a period where um, designers were working hard to blend the sign and the architecture. Up until that point, signs were pretty much add-on, Except for some exceptions, uh, theater design in the 1910s, mm-hmm. uh, they were added on later. In many cases, architects were offended, appalled by what got, you know, was placed on their buildings, uh, so carefully designed at a later date. But now, in the 1930s, the architects got more involved with sign design, and we have some great examples. Yeah, what uh, did they look Chicago. like? Give us the,
1: the colors, the shapes, the letter forms.
0: Well, it was a period known as the Streamline Modern. Now, movie theaters were great examples of this kind of uh, design. And um, I wish I had pictures to show you. <laughs> we could share those. But uh, State Street was a real showplace of some of these great examples of signs being blended with the architecture. Yeah. Uh, most of those examples are no longer with us. But um, if you think of, uh, let's see... Um, you know, it's maybe not the most perfect example of a sign as architecture or architecture as sign, but I would say something like the Green Mill is uh, a beautiful example of mm-hmm. that late 1930s look where the sign takes over the complete facade. It's really designed as the the whole storefront. Um, I see. Yeah. And,
1: and we talked about how uh, some of these signs could be several stories tall, Martin. So, I mean, describe that. Give us a sense of how they were made and installed even.
0: Yeah, that happened during the 1910s, 1920s especially movie theaters really needed to fill their their vast interiors very quickly, and so it was necessary to catch the eye more emphatically than ever. Uh, the theaters themselves were rather large, but then the signs went way beyond the roof lines in many cases mm. um, i don 't we really don 't have an example of how large they got, but these were bulb signs this is before neon came along but the vertical projecting sign um, became mainstream during that period and it 's still with us uh, the signs that um, exist for example in Logan square uh, there 's a very tall, vertical projecting sign. That's yes. Grace's furniture. That is a sign that um, the neighborhood really rallied around. It's one of the reasons this sign ordinance has come along. Mm-hmm. It's what we call an orphan sign. Uh, that means that uh, the business that created it is no longer there. So it's just existing up there. It's part of the character of the neighborhood, the history of the neighborhood. So... um Fortunately, um our uh, alterperson, person, Ramirez Rosa, came in and took it very seriously. He said that sign's not coming down. And we got an electric jolt of um of advancement yeah. in our sign code all of a sudden. Chicago was really lagging behind for a long time in terms of their sign code. We were discouraging. Why was that? Um I don't know exactly why, but, you know, there are a lot of historic signs. I've spoken with so many business owners. They want to fully restore their old signs, and these are great, elaborate neon signs. They can't do it because if you take your sign down, you can't put it back up. And the orphan signs also illegal until this ordinance came along. So we are so happy about this.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean... this. Might be like asking you to pick your favorite family member, Martin. But uh, what signs would you say are some of the most iconic, and why?
0: Ah, uh, Chicago has so many good examples. That's why it's so important. This but do you have some personal along? favorites? Maybe? I do. I do. Thanks sure for asking. Do. Yes, um, I would say um, the Roser's Bakery on North Avenue, mm-hmm. the Green Mill, as I mentioned before, um, Central Camera down in the Loop. Margie's Candies at Milwaukee and um, Western, Uh, those just just a few. And, um, yeah, I would do anything to protect them. Uh, And now uh, it looks like they're going to have longer lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, Chicago was part of training the craftsmen who traveled to other cities to build signs, right?
0: Yeah. It was a major hub uh, as much as New York and in some ways more so. Um, There are great... Uh, very large uh, sign companies here, and uh, this included uh, the creation of, uh, you know, wooden signs, painted signs, eventually electric signs. And you got a terrific training here, um, especially if you're a sign painter. You just got a a greater sense of graphic possibilities. And then these-
1: And we were spreading these styles across the country, right? That's right. started here, and then places like New York, and then Vegas. And, started to adopt yeah, this
0: style, <clears throat> yes, Los Angeles and vegas um, the major sign companies uh, were um, begun by Chicago people uh, so yeah, there was in fact there's a certain style that developed as a result of uh, a key group of people that moved on from Chicago. You could almost call it the Chicago style sign, so <laughs> love yeah, that yeah
1: martin let 's hear from some of the callers who've been waiting. First up is Elliot in Berwyn. Hey, Elliot.
0: Oh, hi. Uh, I can remember a, a billboard sign uh, on. When I, was, when I was a kid back in the '60s and '70s on State Street. And I think it was near Randolph uh, of a guy with a cigarette. This guy with a hole in the a hole in the sign around his mouth. And there was like artificial smoke coming out of his mouth. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was dry ice or something, but they were kind of knee knee effect or something. You know, I mean, so so you're talking about a
1: sign near Randolph of a a guy smoking and you chuckled there martin do you do you know which sign he's talking you about?
0: know i i don't know about that particular sign but there's one that was on uh, times square it's famous and um i just commend this listener for calling in because that's one of the greatest examples of animated yeah. signs wonderful sign
1: for sure uh next up brendan from ravenswood hey brendan welcome to the show
0: Hi, good morning, or good afternoon. Um, I was wondering if you could provide any further information around some of the uh, old brick taverns in Chicago are Schlitz signs that are built in uh, with
2: the Schlitz logo. And um, if you could just provide any more information on the type of, like, the, I don't know, the reason why it's in brick on the outside of the building or just um, the design itself.
1: Yeah, uh, great question, Brendan. Martin, take it away.
0: Beautiful example. Um and uh, a point I wanted to bring up anyway, um, that's a great example, an early example, maybe one of the earliest examples of sign blended with architecture. Why that came about, I don't have any information, but um, we have so many examples that still exist in the city. In fact, I would bring people in from New York, Los Angeles, to come and look at the many examples we have here. There, there exquisite examples of design as well as craft.
1: Yeah. And talk more about how these signs that we're, we're discussing today, how, how they've been incorporated into the streetscape.
0: Yeah. Um, that's that's something I want to bring up very much. Um, I My book is written with an eye for context. And so not just the signs as beautiful artifacts, but how do they contribute to a whole streetscape? And, um, current or uh, concurrent with this effort to create a new sign code the city has also uh, started a um examination along western avenue through logan square of character all the contributing factors so they're looking now the whole city is mm-hmm. um looking at how signs are part of that character um, and looking with a an eye, with a lens for the whole street and not just individual buildings. It's interesting in history, um, just these past few decades, there's been an overemphasis, I would say, on the architecture itself. In many cases, small towns and big cities mm-hmm. stripped away all their signs because they, they began to revere the architecture like it was a god in a way. And yet these buildings were simple commercial buildings. They may have had great ornament, but it was the signs along with the architecture that made these streets. And we, the history, if we're going to be showing accurate history, if we revere history, you have to consider the signs because they were once so much more plentiful than they are now.
1: Yeah, and that's why I want you to help put this into more context for us. We've mentioned this proposed ordinance, right, and and your excitement for it. Uh, It would help protect these signs. So uh, we're not going to lose these vintage signs. Is that right?
0: I would say it's an incentive now to keep them. One of the things that uh, was preventing signs from being restored or kept uh, in shape is because there was... Uh, basically an understanding that the city didn't want them anymore. They wanted them down. They gave all kinds of reasons. They had to come down. And uh, now uh, a sign owner who wants to restore a sign can take it down, fully restore it, put it back up. That's a huge incentive for businesses yeah. to do what they want to do, keep them maintained. Um, yeah, it's a big advancement. You know, maybe um, five, Seven years ago, there was a um, a statement by Preservation Chicago about, um, you know, every year they uh, have a list of the seven most threatened pieces of architecture in the city. And in 2015, they included as one of the most threatened buildings, quote, quote, the city's historic neon signs. Mm. So, um, you know, that was a few years ago, but the city has caught up and paid attention to preservation organizations like that. Made
1: it a priority. Yeah. That's great. Let's hear from some other callers. I think they want to shout out their favorite signs here in Chicago. Here's Maggie in West Ridge. Hey, Maggie. Hey, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for calling in. What, what signs are you loving in the city? Okay. I love the Super Dog sign <laughs> at Milwaukee and uh, Devon.
0: Superdog, um, yeah, three
1: hundred North in Norwood you know, Park. The border of yeah, Edgebrook and Norwood Park. No, that's a great sign. Anyway.
0: yeah, that's so good. I would bring people from Las Vegas and New York into town to take a look oh, really? at that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's a great one. Thanks for sharing, Maggie. Uh, next up is uh, Adam from Ukrainian Village. Hey, Adam. Hey, how are you doing? Doing Not well. Thanks for calling. You're welcome. Uh,
2: so when I heard about this, I thought the sign that sp- sprung to mind for me was not necessarily a neon sign, but uh, the Morton Salt sign that was along the, uh, the expressway. It always reminded me, uh, growing up on the north side, or the north shore, I should say, coming into the city to my grandparents' house and always seeing it from the car side, Yeah, you know, from the, the, the car window. It was great. That's uh, definitely what I uh, remember when I think of signs.
1: Yeah, thanks for calling, Adam. Actually, I that's a good one, too. For me, I'm, I'm thinking of just when I first moved to Chicago, I remember passing by that and, and recognizing. I was like, oh, what's that? Um, you know, before folks explained it to me further, uh, you were nodding there as well. Mark. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a good That's example. A good Two of the points um, for, um, you know, defending these historic signs. One, they serve as um, geographic markers, their landmarks, their beacons. And two, they're part of our sense of history and place in Chicago, taking them away. um, Just the way you were speaking about it, it was one of the first things you remember about the city and um, smaller signs all over the city, uh, just as much revered as, you know, part of the memory of place. It's so much bigger than an artifact they are. Yeah.
1: They're great signs. Uh, one more. Here's Karen. Hey, Karen. Welcome to Reset. Hi.
0: My favorite sign is the fish keg. Of a fry shop on Howard Street near Ridge. And I the business has been around for 70 years. And that sign is from the 50s. And recently they did. They took it down and renovated it. And it looks fabulous.
1: Karen, what does that sign look like?
0: So it's got... It's it's a large size. I mean, to me, it's large. Maybe what your guest is referring to it is, and it's probably about five feet tall and three three and a half feet wide, and it's got neon plus just colored metal in it, and it says the fish keg <laughs> on it. And then there's also room for them to put their specials in, you know, slip on plastic letters beneath.
1: Oh, I love that. Thanks for sharing, Karen. Appreciate it. All right. I, I lied. We'll squeeze in one more caller for this uh, segment here. Connie, welcome to Reset. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for calling in. What's your favorite sign? My, I have a couple. My favorite is probably Clark Devon Hardware Store because the sign surrounds a huge clock. Ah, and, and what's your other one? Dinkels. Oh yeah. Dinkels Bakery <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that that's iconic absolutely. Thanks for sharing Connie. Uh, you were nodding Martin when she talked about the the Clark Devon hardware sign. Yeah, what does that one look like?
0: That sign brings a clock into uh the streetscape. Um and clocks are great landmarks. They are historically known as landmarks in Europe and the U.S. Mm -hmm. And here was a commercial enterprise that gave that, basically, to the street, to the city.
1: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And we have been talking about Chicago's iconic signs with Martin True, who's author of Signs, Streets, and Storefronts, the history of architecture and graphics along America's commercial corridors. Now we'll bring another voice into the conversation. Tom Brickler has been in the neon sign biz for, let's say, decades. He's the owner of Neon Shop Fishtail in Logan Square. Welcome. Thank you, Sasha. Glad to be here. Tom, I got to ask, what do you love about neon?
2: Well, you know what? Uh, Neon's sexy. The glow, the colors. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't expecting that. People love (laughs) a glass-bent glowing sign. And you can pretty much dream up any idea you wanna have, and you can create this and and have it become reality from someone's idea that they were just thinking it would be cool to have so I've been creating and making neon now for uh almost, for over forty years yeah. my own business uh uh neon shop fishtail I'm there six days a week. I answer my own phone um wow, I did three jobs before I came to this t- here today and uh you know, it, it's exciting to me. Uh, Marty, Marty covered a lot of great p- points about it, but, you know, there's another point about it, too, and that is, you know, you get to meet the owners and the people that are running these businesses, mm-hmm. and you get to see the motivation behind their desire to keep these signs up and keep them working and, and
1: keep Chicago glowing alive. And, and make signs that withstand all the seasons. It's it's incredible. We know Chicago's got like seven of them.
2: Oh, my goodness. You know (laughs) what? uh, The porcelain sign is a sign that really was unique to Chicago where it would last all four seasons. And and it was a baked porcelain face that usually was on there. And uh, it's really become one of the pinnacle uh, signs that people want to collect and restore because of just the uh, beautiful look that they have
1: and and the feeling of the – the old sign face with the different colored neon that's on there. Yeah, and you touched on this uh, briefly, Martin, but some early vintage signs, they were made with incandescent bulbs. How did the shift to neon change the style and form of these signs?
0: Well, you know, when you're working with points of light, the bulbs, uh, there's a sort of uh, limitation Mm -hmm. in in terms of what forms you can create with them. Uh, When they're very big. You can do probably quite a bit more things. When the signs are small, it's a little bit awkward. With neon, you had this fluid stroke. Um, it allowed the designer to do a great deal more, to allow the the form of the sign to be more curvaceous. You could illustrate uh, a sign with figures, animated figures in some cases. Um, that wasn't so much true. There were a few exceptions, but... yeah. Very few with bulb signs. Now you could have really elaborate, animated uh, pictures as part of the signs.
1: You know, Tom, Margie's Candies on Western and, and Armitage, that's a popular one with our team here at Reset. It's It's got uh, red neon cursive script on this yellow background. It's on a corner, so lots of visibility there for sure. It's right down the road from your shop, I hear, yes. right? Yeah, so, right down the street. What do you think makes this one have so much staying power?
2: Well, you know, not only is it a great sign, uh, originally made by Acme Wiley, but uh, just the fact that uh, it's got a great history to it. um, I've been there long enough where um, I remember Margie and uh, I remember her son, Peter, and uh, both of those people have uh, have passed right now, and, and and. how important it was for them to have those signs working. Margie loved neon. The Beatles were at Margie's in the 60s. So, you know, this was a place that uh, was a destination for people. And, and you know, these with these old iconic signs and things like that, people are going to, uh, to seek them out, to see them, to take mm-hmm. pictures at dusk because uh, of the incredible nature that they are.
0: Yeah, Sasha, you picked such a great example. Margie's is— um a beautiful uh example of what you can do with neon that you couldn't do with bulbs um it's one of the most fluid letter forms i've ever seen gorgeous lettering uh, absolutely stunning and the fact that they have maintained that so meticulously against all the odds it's an expensive sign yes it's it's gorgeous and Uh, I'm so glad the city's rallied around uh, signs like that.
1: Yeah, a lot of folks on our team loving that sign as well. Let's jump to the phone lines and talk with Kaylin in Logan Square. Hey, Kaylin, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. What's your favorite sign?
0: Um, I'm going to bait myself here because my favorite sign actually doesn't exist anymore, and it hasn't existed for for decades. Um, Across from right around the uh, 1994, there used to be a giant neon magicist Sign, these huge oh. red lips that would light up from the inside and like, inside out and outside in. And as a small child driving in with my parents, I was like, that was the sign that, you know, I am now in the city because I remember seeing the magicist sign.
1: Yes. You know what, Kaylin, uh, don't worry about dating yourself because there are so many other callers waiting right now that are also calling about the magicist sign. And I see Martin and Tom looking at each other in the studio, nodding and smiling. Uh, this one brings up good memories.
2: Absolutely, uh, it, it had a ton of neon on it for one. And the greatest thing about the about the Magic Kiss is it's sequenced, so it was constantly moving, and uh, it was just a giant pair of lips. And uh, it was kind of a beacon to enter the city at different points. There were three of them made. Um, the one, uh, the colors right on point with the one being close to ninety ninety four. That that was there for. Uh, one one of the ones to the yeah. end, and and there's also was one on 290 as well, but unfortunately yeah. they're all gone
1: now. Well, I want to hear from Steve, who's been waiting. I think he's wants to add to this very conversation we're having right now. Hey, Steve.
0: Hi. Yeah. Um, she she stole my magic. Gift. <laughs> but I was I was thinking of some other. I don't know if this would be a sign or not, but I remember on the south side by the Skyway. Grain elevators with Falstaff Beard cans painted on them, oh. um, and that was another one of my favorites. Uh, it was a it was a landmark.
1: Oh, cool, thanks for sharing that, Steve. You remember that time I see oh, you? Oh, absolutely, yes. It was leaving the city, and
2: and they were giant, uh, a grain. It was like a giant grain factory, and on one of the um, huge towers uh, of uh, silos of grain, yeah. uh, the staff logo was painted on there. And it was such it's such a unique beer that. Uh, that a lot of people can relate to that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Martin, what do you make of these signs becoming so synonymous with Chicago that folks who might not have traveled here before, they they could actually still identify them as being connected to this city, you know, so much so that movie producers have included them in some big films too.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, that makes them particularly valuable. Um, I think that, and that's just uh, pretty cool. yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that um, one of the concerns that comes up, even though we have this great legislation uh, in place, Mm -hmm. nearly in place, is the fact that signs have been so revered lately, neon signs, that they have become collectible. And we've lost some signs as a result of this uh, desire to have them in a private collection. Um, For example, the Orange Garden sign on uh, Irving Park, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that got collected. And we could lose a lot more. Um, I think the ordinance now will give uh, businesses. Um, and I think what's going to happen is the neighborhood's going to rally even more around saving the signs. Now they have legislation that'll help save them. Yeah. But you've got to have the neighborhood making a stand and saying, no, don't put that sign up for auction. That means so much to us. So we need to get
1: active for this. Let's hear from Jeff in Humboldt Park. Hey, Jeff, welcome to Reset. Hey. Hey, nice to see you. Nice to talk to you. I'm calling about the old Rothschild liquor store neon sign. The guest that said neon is sexy, he's right. They were cutting edge (laughs) then, they're cutting edge now. The one I'm calling about is in a hotel lobby or condo lobby at uh, Halstead and Randolph. So I was curious where that came from, who restored it. Are you familiar with it? I'm sure you are. It's magnificent. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. I still can't get over folks saying neon is sexy. I- I'm going to laugh every single time. Do either of you recall that sign in yeah. the whole t- in the condo lobby?
2: Absolutely. It's right down uh, in Fulton Market. And originally it was uh, probably on Roosevelt, like he said. There was more than one Rothschilds. And it was the liquor store, and it had flashing neon. And someone was able to take this sign; uh, it, it got taken down off the building, and, and is a centerpiece right, uh, right, at, right in the middle of Fulton Market right now, in and in a huge, uh, in a large high-rise, and it's in the entryway, and uh, it's road art, it's it's a landscape neon sign that uh, it's kind of a one-of-a-kind type thing that really identifies this this building
1: yeah uh we were just talking about movies right i hear that you have been part of making signs for lots of movies
2: oh i'm real fortunate you know uh i I know a lot of the set directors and and people in chicago and 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 they've been real good to me i've i've made over 50 major motion pictures with my neon in it oh wow um i started out right with uh schwarzenegger and belushi and red heat and followed it up with backdraft and and uh untouchables down the road
1: and how does that make you feel oh that's, a, know, that's a huge number
2: you know what it's really exciting to go to uh to a movie and all of a sudden you know you're you're watching this, you're watching the movie and all of a sudden here's a sign that you made that sh- that shows up and comes up uh the new season of the bear is out right now and uh spoiler spoiler alert i've got the rear end of a bear in there so <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. when you see that you can say that uh You heard it first. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I would encourage people to take a look at Tom's shop. It's uh, on Western, just south of Fullerton. And there's a flashing neon sign in front, which is very old fashioned, very um, authentic. Uh, It's great to see Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
1: uh, absolutely. Uh, Another caller on the line, Callie in West Lawn. Hey, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm delighted to hear this conversation. It's been great and it reminded me of one of my favorite signs when I first moved to the south side of Chicago that is no longer here. Um, It is Rosario's Italian sausage and it had neon little pigs jumping into a giant sausage grinder (laughs) meeting their demise. Oh my goodness! That sounds terrible and fantastic all at the same time, Kelly. <laughs> Thanks for calling. Yeah. Uh, does anyone remember that sign? Y- you do, Martin. I yeah. do. I
0: do. I don't know uh, when that
1: um, Rosario's Deli.
0: Yeah, I don't. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't remember. Gosh, when. Gosh, I would have
1: loved to see that pigs jumping yeah. through <laughs> sausage.
0: Yeah. Great oh example of animated signs. What neon could do at bulb signs could not do.
1: And let's talk about your restoration work a bit more, Tom. I mean, you're restoring some of these classics that we're talking about, Margie's Candies, Green Mill, um, LaSalle Florist. What goes into doing the restoration?
2: Well, you know, it's it's important to uh, have a good pattern right from the sign uh, that you're working on. Um, these signs have housings that uh, neon goes into, so all the electric is, is inside the sign, and when they first made these signs, they pretty much made the neon, and then they uh, were able to drill the holes according to the uh, how the you know neon was put on the sign. Now, with, when, when you're restoring an old sign, all the neon's gone usually, and you know you not only have to make a pattern of a letter, but you've also got to make a pattern of the exact um, points where the sign where the electrodes enter into the sign mm-hmm. to, to keep it a, a a good working outside sign.
1: So sounds to me like it takes a while uh you know what it, it is
2: much uh it is much easier as, as Marty said that uh you know to have the sign down so that you can work inside of it that you can that you can get around it that you can t- test it and try to make things uh fit the, the way they should have been um mm. w- with the city uh not allowing that kind of in the past uh so much work had to be done on a on a, in a bucket truck uh just you know t- up in the air trying to get these things to all work and pan out while going back and forth to the neon shop uh, to make adjustments so that it would work okay.
1: Martin, for you, what's it like as a historian hearing about all that work that goes into restoration?
0: Well, it just it reminds me um, how uh, incredibly intricate the craft is. You know, um, these big signs, think of them in Las Vegas, those enormous signs, all that neon, it's all hand blown this is yeah. you know a very minute and exacting art, and um, it 's one of the criteria that uh, we consider when uh, designating a sign historic does it uh, is it a great example of the art of of, of the craft of neon, for example, if it 's a neon sign
1: let 's hear from one last um, caller here 's John in Lincoln Park. <clears throat>
2: Yes, hi. Um, I wanted to shout out for the, uh, the anti-neon sign, the little ones. They're just so great and iconic. Um, when I first came to Chicago, somebody told me about Neo down Somali and Clark's, off Clark. And you stood at the end of the alley and looked down and saw that, that neon, just Neo. And you're like, what is down there? And it was so cool. And then across the street, there was another place called the Golden Cup, which had uh, many famous people over the years and had a neon uh, coffee cup that was iconic in its window. It oh. was just great.
1: Thanks for calling, John. Appreciate that memory. Well, we're just about out of time, Martin, but I wonder what you want makers and designers to keep in mind for the next generation of signs in Chicago.
0: Well, um, I would answer that by saying, I think that, um, you know, my book is very Chicago centric Um and uh, Chicagoans will really enjoy that. Um, but uh, it also considers small towns all over America. Yeah. And so this legislation has uh, come to protect Chicago signs. Um, I want to spread that kind of mentality about protecting our, our buildings and the signs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of protecting the whole streetscape. And um, I hope that legislation like this and awareness like this can spread to the smaller towns all around yeah. Chicago. I have an organization called Eye on Main Street that constantly documents roves around the country and documents historic signs and old buildings.
1: That's great. Yeah. And
0: uh, this will, you know, that's something I think that will uh, have an effect across America.
1: A quick last word from you, Tom.
2: Well, you know what? I'm just really excited about the fact that, like, Marty can write a book about these signs and, and bring the attention to it, and that we have a mayor right now that's that's saying that, that uh, he, he's behind these old signs mm-hmm. and wants to protect them. And we got a, a, a radio host that, that uh, recognizes Aww. this fact and says, you know what, uh, let's talk about this. The signs are cool, they're so important. I appreciate them all that,
1: yes. Tom Brickler's owner of Neon Shop Fishtail, and Martin Shrew, author of Signs, Streets, and Storefronts. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Thank Sasha. You. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic. And it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Stephanie Kim. Hear more delightful conversations just like this one by subscribing to our podcast. And when you do, leave us a rating and review. That helps more listeners like you find our show. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We will talk to you tomorrow.